0: Bible prophesied of a unique time on earth. Israel would be returned to her land, the church would turn to false doctrines, technology would increase, and wickedness and immorality would run rampant. The time spoken of so long ago has come. Join Charlie Garrett as he breaks down these events for us as they unfold each week. Okay, let's see here. Um... It is 28 January. It's time for the prophecy update of the week. And something funny happened last night. I went to a Make America Great Again party, which Darlene, who's here quite often for the sermon, she had a party, you know, honoring Donald Trump's first year. It was supposed to be last week, and she got bronchitis, and so she moved it back a week. And I walked in. I was in such a rush yesterday trying to get things done that I just put on, you know, one of those. Uh, Sweater hats that you put on when it's cold out. It was hot out because it's Florida and, and it went from cold to hot in this past week. And so by the time I got to the house, I was sweating again. And I said, I'm so sorry, I forgot a bandana, and I'm just going to walk around bald head. And she said, no, I have a bandana for you right in my cupboard. And she pulled it out <laughs> oh. from Japan. It was, oh. yeah, one made in Japan, so I thought I'd wear that today. Oh, so nice. thanking Darlene for the wonderful bandana and uh, also for the great party. I'm telling you what, make America great again. I met some really wonderful people, and it was just a really good time. So there you go. And our first category, as always, is Israel. And from the Jerusalem Post, U.S., this is just genius what Donald Trump is doing. This is absolutely genius. U.S. to convert existing Jerusalem facility into embassy for 2019 opening. Okay, they have confirmed they are moving the embassy. Uh, What was it, Mattis, I think, or one of the the guys up there, uh, Tillerson maybe, one of them said, we're going to try to get this done in three years, and Trump said, that's not going to happen. We're doing it in one year. We're going to use an existing facility, and it is genius what they have done. The Trump admin plans to retrofit an existing facility, which we already run and own in uh, Jerusalem, into an embassy with the goal of moving its staff there from Tel Aviv in 2019. The New York Times, Wall Street Journal quoted U.S. officials on record who said the State Department plans to reconfigure an existing consular facility that the U.S. has operated out of Arnona in West Jerusalem since 1948, okay, but so it's in West Jerusalem President Trump said he planned on setting forth architects and planners to design a new facility, and his Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson, has told reporters that a formal move, oh, it was Tillerson, would be at least three years off. But Trump and his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who is the leading administration's peace push, have since favored an expedited timetable. The U.S. building, this is where it gets very interesting, it's in West Jerusalem, it girds the Green Line, which served as Israel's border before the 1967 war. It is a statement that we are right here in East and West Jerusalem, a united Jerusalem, and I know that's why they picked this, is to say that there is no divided Jerusalem, we are going to accept it as one united which is exactly what he did a few what last month or so when he made his declaration so um it says before the 1967 war we are going to retrofit a building for a 2019 opening there is no plan for anything Temporary. That was genius as far as I'm concerned. It was very well done. It was a good decision. They can modify this building if necessary. If it's not big enough for all of the uh, State Department employees, they could probably cut some fat out of that department anyway. So uh, good stuff there. Very good stuff. I I say that because some of you know that I was in the service, and when I was uh, in Malaysia for three years, I was assigned under the State Department. I worked for the embassy and carried a black passport while I was there. And uh, the employees of the State Department, even back then, were very liberal. And the State Department is a very liberal organization. They need to cut a lot out of there. They need to get some people in there that are more conservative. And, uh, you know, if they have to cut some of them that are in Tel Aviv moving to Jerusalem, hey, that'd be OK. Um, <laughs> let's see here from Al Jazeera. Just the title, Mike Pence, U.S. Embassy, to open in Jerusalem in 2019. He confirmed it openly with his mouth while speaking to the people at the Knesset this past week. So just wanted to let you know that it's not a secret anymore by any stretch of the imagination. From United with Israel, Israel appoints first female aviation squadron commander. They have, um, you know, these fighter pilots that are out there, and some of them have been female. Well, they have appointed a female squadron commander now. The commander who was identified only as Major T after the first initial of her name due to security concerns, they're not like us. They are very, very careful with security over there. And they don't want their people being targeted. You know, somebody could come across when she's on leave at her home and, and grab her and uh, hold her hostage. So it's not like America where they say, you know, uh, Sergeant Robertson is, uh, he's from Idaho. and They don't do that. Everything is very quiet over there with these people. They're very smart about how they handle it. It says she was promoted to lieutenant colonel and will head a squadron of transport planes. Major T is the mother of two young children. She will be the first female pilot to have this position and to have this rank. According to a statement from the IDF Spokesperson's Unit, Major General Norkin, the IAF commander, announced the promotion of another woman as well, known as Major M, to command the IAF's Operational Command and Control Unit. She is also being promoted to the rank of Lieutenant Colonel. Major M will be the highest-ranking woman to serve in an IAF Traffic Controller, And then I like their last comment. It says, well, a majority of the Middle East are degraded, robbed of rights, and horribly abused. In Israel, they are an integral part of the society, including the IDF. So, well done, Israel. From Arts Sheva, a first Israeli court orders the Fakistanian authority to compensate torture victims. Now, I don't know if you know this, but when they get a a person that is, um, uh, you know, he's an Arab, and he's given intel to the uh, Israelis. They will take him out and they will torture them. They'll throw them into jail and they will often just execute them. The appeals have been made by these people to not allow this, to sue them for damages to be paid to the family or those that have survived the ordeal. And Israel sided with them. Now, this is rather unusual because Israel, you know, they're just like America. They got a bunch of liberal judges and they got some conservative judges and they are a democracy. So quite often, things like this do not get passed or approved. And this time it did. Uh, Jerusalem court orders the Fakistanian authority to compensate torture victims, including a man with a Jewish mother who was tortured to death. The district court in Jerusalem issued a precedent-setting decision finding that the FA, the Fakistanian Authority, tortured, imprisoned, and murdered dozens of Arabs suspected of collaborating with Israel. As a part of its decision, the court ordered them to compensate the victims. The Jerusalem District Court allowed publication of the precedent-setting decision uh, which found that the Fakistanian Authority was responsible for the arrest, torture, and even murder of suspected collaborators dating back to the 1990s. Now, remember, these are the same people that pay anybody that kills a Jew or causes any terrorist action against Israel, they pay them a stipend. And so now the money that they are giving for that can be taken away from them because Israel will withhold these funds from them in the transfer of funds that they make in order to compensate these people. So this is the right thing to do. And I things are really turning against these people in the world right now. Israel is on the... Uh, Uh, The side of favor with many countries that in the past was not, especially because of these stipends and things like this right here. The thousand plus page ruling, that's a giant ruling by Judge Drury, details the legal reasoning of the decision and also describes the torture that the plaintiffs were subject to for years in their presence. Arrest by the Fakistinian Authority for reasons that are not under its jurisdiction, particularly in the case of security reasons, has many implications. Here, the Fakistinian Authority is attempting to direct its citizens to act against Israel and in support of terror, given that even a civil suit brought by the Fakistinian Authority residents arrested for such a reason, like the case before us now, has security ramifications. I cannot help but say the following. A careful reading of all the evidence, including the many detailed affidavits from the plaintiffs and the descriptions of the torture during their testimony where they showed injured limbs cannot be taken lightly. Indeed, the court is often witness to many difficult situations. However, this case involves dozens of plaintiffs and witnesses, each distinct and describing multiple events such that the picture is made clear from the details." After reviewing such details, it can be clearly stated that there is a preponderance of evidence from which it is apparent that the Fakistinian authority and its described representatives acted violently, including through the use of torture against the plaintiffs. The compensation is expected to be in the millions of shekels for each plaintiff. That's a lot of money there, folks. From Christian News today... We are doing our last feast of the Lord today. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. I will admit right out at the offset that I was under a complete misunderstanding of the meaning of the Leviticus 23 Feast of Tabernacles. And that's why I always put aside my presuppositions when I do a sermon and I study every single word and it is not at all what has been presented in the past. I will assure you of this. It is wonderful. I hope that you'll watch it. If you have not been watching the Feast of the Lord sermons because, oh, I already know all of that, I assure you, what we have presented in these past eight sermons is not at all what you think you already know. And today... I was thoroughly surprised, okay? So please watch that sermon. It is marvelous. It is beautiful. And it's the type of thing that, you know, just stirs my emotions in ways I can't even express to you. So um, that's my plug for today's sermon. (laughs) Okay, I got a uh, post on YouTube which uh, somebody sent to me. And they said, you need to read this post. And so I did. And then I thought... uh, I would read it to all of you. It says, Good day, mate. My name is Rob, and together with my wife and 17-month-olds, we serve the Lord of the Harvest and an unreached people group in an isolated mountain range in South Sudan. We have limited internet, but I always make sure that I have sufficient megabytes to watch your updates most Mondays. I know it takes sufficient time to sift through all the info, sometimes garbage, on the net. So thank you for, uh, anyway, um, let's see here. Uh, okay, I ask you and your flock, subscribers, everybody, to please pray, Luke 10, verse 2, that we might get some team members to join with us in proclaiming the gospel to those who have yet to hear it. And then he cites Romans 10, 13 through 14, which I'll read to you, and uh, it's words that we need to remember. And let's see here, uh, Romans 10, 13 through 14, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And so he's making the point that you can't hear the gospel unless people are sent. And he is in the south of Sudan, and he has a great need for somebody to come and join him in uh, helping with that uh, that uh, ministry. So we'll keep him in prayer, and uh, we'll thank uh, Rob for sending that on. Uh, Mail online, the Church of England rules that ceremony to renew baptism vows can be adapted to mark changes of gender. Okay, yes, if you change your gender, you can now be re-baptized in the Church of England. They had talked against this a week or so Before, But they subtly moved this in, and it has now become established law in the Church of England. They ruled that an existing service designated to allow churchgoers to renew their baptism vows can now be used to mark a gender transition. The ceremony will, in effect, allow a transgender churchgoer to undergo a second baptism with a different name to the one they used in the first christening. The introduction of a sex change service is the latest in a series of initiatives by the Church of England to accommodate the demands of an increasingly powerful transgender lobby. It follows a push by the Church of England to eliminate bullying of transgender pupils in its schools that has attracted criticism from within the church. Guidance on challenging homophobic, biphobic, and transphobic bullying issued late last year instructs, as you remember, we reported on this, that five-year-old boys should be allowed to wear high heels at school in the name of creative self-imagining. And remember, they added in tutus and anything else that they want to wear, they are allowed to, and provides a tick box form in which teachers can be accused of abuse So if you simply say the wrong gender to one of your students, listen, Sammy, you'd be a good boy today, they can be charged with abuse now in a Church of England school. So that shows you how absolutely far that church has moved away just in the past few years. I mean, they've been going this direction for many, many long years, but they have really gone down the tubes in the past few years. From Christian Journal, socialist Bolivia makes evangelism a crime. Okay. Yes. Article 88 of the South American nation's new penal code states that whoever recruits, transports, deprives of freedom or hosts people with the aim of recruiting them to take part in armed conflicts or religious or worship organizations will be penalized five to 12 years of imprisonment. So they're equating evangelizing, asking somebody to come join your church with armed conflict. It's insane. Changes to the code also permit abortion during the first eight weeks of pregnancy and expand punishment of recklessness, negligence, malpractice in all careers, worrying professionals from doctors to journalists. I mean, you make a mistake and, yeah, you can be prosecuted. The changes were approved several weeks after Bolivia's constitutional court lifted term limits, allowing President Evo Morales to run for office indefinitely and he'll be winning because this is what they do in socialist nations but the uh, requirements that they lay down in that statute are vague they're ambiguous and so anybody can pretty much be prosecuted for anything in that nation now from CNS Catholic Georgetown Georgetown University okay to offer LGBT housing to students. Georgetown University, founded in 1789 and ostensibly a Catholic school, will offer a gender and sexuality housing complex for students starting in the 2018-19 academic year, which will operate as a residential center for homosexual, transgender, and questioning students. The center was the brainchild of Georgetown senior Grace Smith, who leads the student government's LGBTQ plus inclusivity policy team. Our Catholic and Jesuit values call on us to engage with respect, compassion, and sensitivity with our LGBT community, said Vice President of Student Affairs Todd Olson in the school newspaper, The Hoya. It is in keeping with our Catholic and Jesuit values to provide a language, perspective, and sense of inclusion for deepening our sense of cura personalis. Well, tolerance and inclusion always is the death knell of a society. It's the death knell of Georgetown University. Anytime that you say you must be tolerant, it bites. By implication means that you cannot speak about Jesus, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, because that is intolerant. So intolerance teaching is by itself self-contradictory. It's just a terrible thing which is going on in our world today, and there is no logical thought process being taught, no critical thinking being taught in our universities anymore. Anyway, what's that? Sheep, sheep led to the slaughter from the uh, Associated Press. Pope shocks Chile by accusing sex abuse victims of slander. Pope Francis accused victims of Chile's most notorious pedophile of slander Thursday. This is a week ago, and I will read another article uh, uh, on this because it is a little old, but I included it because of the second article. It's an astonishing end to a visit meant to heal the wounds of sex abuse scandal that has cost the Catholic Church its credibility in the country. Francis said that until he sees proof that Bishop Juan Barros was complicit in covering up the sex crimes of the Reverend Fernando Carr, Dima, such accusations against Barros are all calumny. The Pope's remarks drew shock from Chileans and immediate rebuke from victims and their advocates. They noted the accusers were deemed credible enough by the Vatican that it sentenced Cardima to a life of penance and prayer for his crimes in 2011. A Chilean judge also found the victims to be credible, saying that while she had to drop criminal charges against Cardima because too much time had passed, proof of his crimes was not Lacking. And so he's siding with a known pervert and he's speaking against the people of Chile when he's supposed to be there healing the wounds that are in Chile. From Deutsche Welle. Pope apologizes for sex abuse comments, but defends Chile Bishop. So he apologized, but he still defends what he said, so it makes no sense. Pope Francis has apologized for implying that victims of sex abuse by priests need proof to be believed, but he defended a Chile Bishop accused of covering up for the notorious pedophile. Well, I don't think that you need proof to be believed in the absolute sense. People have been accusing Donald Trump of doing all kinds of things without any proof, and there's no need to, to believe them, okay? There has to be some basis for accepting that type of uh, a thing against a person. And yet at the same time, as that judge noted, there is way sufficient evidence. So the Pope has once again turned himself into the dope that he is. <laughs> All right, uh. From Islam Today, NBC, Russia, Iran, open their arms to Turkey, something we've been bringing up again and again and again, loses patience with the United States. I've been saying this, the Turkey is moving east, they're moving east, they're moving east, they're going to Russia, exactly what the Bible says in Ezekiel 38. Ezekiel 38 gives us the outline of that great battle, which is coming against Israel. It's probably not that far off, and I don't want to be speculatory that it's going to be this year or next year or even five years, but it is not that far off in the sense that these nations are aligning, and they are aligning in an astonishingly accurate way to the Bible. Okay, so that's why this is continuing to be a very important issue. Relations between the United States and Turkey have hit a new low over Washington's support of militias battling the IS. The Kurdish rebels down there are supposedly battling the uh, IS, not Turkey, but Turkey says that they are trying to establish their own state. Turkey is now engaging them, and they're attacking the Kurdish rebels that we are assisting. It's a real real difficult situation, which is going on there right now. It's a tenuous situation, and things could devolve very, very quickly over this issue. The government in Ankara views the Kurdish fighters as terrorists. Experts warn that the crisis is resulting in Turkey, a longtime ally of America with NATO's second largest standing army, turning away from the West and towards Russia and Iran. Exactly what I keep saying week after week. U.S. military support for SDF, led by the Kurdish YPG militia, have left Turkey furious. Officials have even warned that Turkish troops are ready to cross into neighboring Syria. The U.S. is directly providing arms to a group whose ultimate ambition is not defeating ISIS, but creating an independent Kurdistan. So I don't know what's going on over there. I don't think anybody actually does what all of the players are doing. But the U.S. says that they are battling ISIS. Turkey says that's not true. They're trying to break away and establish their own independent nation. They are not going to allow that. And so there is great, great tension. And you have to remember that we have a base in Turkey, in Air Base. We have other uh, things that are going on in Turkey, it is questionable whether our nuclear weapons are still in Turkey or not. Some people say they are. Some people say they've been moved up to Romania or some other location. But if our nuclear weapons are still in Turkey and Turkey has had enough of us, they will overrun our base and they will seize those nuclear weapons. And you want to talk about an impetus for World War III going on right there. That is it. So yeah, we have to be very careful dealing with the Turks. As it said, they have the second largest standing army in all of NATO, and they are not happy with the EU as we saw a week ago. They are very unhappy with the United States. They're unhappy with pretty much everything that's going on over there, and they are turning east. And it's exactly exactly what this book prophesied from the hand of Ezekiel 2,700 years ago. So uh, just keep that in mind. From... Um, The times of Israel, Rivlin, Gaza about to collapse. This is Rivlin from the Israel side. He says that Gaza is about to collapse. Everybody knows this. Epidemics are on the horizon. Okay. Gaza is being all of their troubles in Gaza are being blamed on who? Of course, course, Israel. Israel. We have given them enough money to build a paradise in that location, an absolute paradise, and it has all been funneled away by Hamas and by the fake authority, Fatah, and they are taking that money for all kinds of other things, and they have left these people purposefully in a bad situation to keep this pot brewing. Here's what Israel has to say about it. The Gaza Strip is headed for a humanitarian breakdown, and Israel— Not anybody else. Israel is the only country providing its residents with basic essentials. We have reported on that very clearly. Electricity. They're paying for it just so that those people have electricity. They send them oil. They send them food. They send them all kinds of things that's being routed through Israel and from Israel because nobody else cares, and Israel cannot allow this to devolve further. So President Rivlin said... Gaza is on the verge of collapse. The time is coming near when the infrastructure in Gaza will collapse, leaving many civilians in distress with no sanitary conditions, exposed to pollution, impure water, and epidemics. The entire world must know and understand that the ones who are preventing rehabilitation are Hamas. Israel is the only one in the region that whatever the situation transfers basic essentials to the residents of Gaza so that they can sustain the body and mind. We will not tolerate accusations of blame. I call on all world nations to all who are able and have influence to pressure those ruling Gaza to pressure Hamas to accept responsibility for their actions and the lives of their people. They are making an an appeal, and nobody's going to do anything about it because they want to continue to blame Israel for this problem, which is not Israel's problem. From the Wafa PS, Ashrawi, Hanan Ashrawi, uh, Peter Jennings' old girlfriend that used to run the uh, PLO, Ashrawi says, U.S. Vice President's statements on peace are ludicrous. Hanan Ashrawi, member of the PLO Executive Committee, slammed as ludicrous statements by the United States Vice President Hence, that his current Middle East visit was intended to help efforts to broker peace between Israelis and the Phakistinians. The Americans cannot talk about the peace process after they have undermined it following recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's capital. She said that the United States has made it worse as it now seeks to also undermine the refugee issue. Ashrawi refuted U.S. claims that Pence's visit to the Middle East was intended to protect Middle Eastern Christians, explaining that the real purpose of the visit is to assure Israel that it and the United States are in the same trench, considering that Pence is a fundamental evangelical Christian who interprets the Old Testament literally. So she's slamming him for taking the book of his faith and saying, yes, I literally believe this book. Now, if you were to accuse a Muslim of that, they'd come in and they'd blow you up, right? But we're not allowed to take literally the very document, which is the source of our faith, including the Old Testament. And she's using that against him, saying that you're not helping anybody out. You're siding with the Israelis. Well, if this book says that we are to support Israel, it doesn't mean that we're against anybody else. It means that we're for Israel. Now you have a choice to make. You can step up to the peace process or you can move out into the ocean. But this is what needs to go on here, is these people need to get a grip on what they're talking about. And she accused them of, you know, taking away the funds for UNRWA. Well, guess why? It's because those funds are being channeled to people to pay to kill Jews. They're not being used as they're intended. So the entire thing is just a basket full of lies that keeps being brought out to the world, and people read that instead of what is actually going on over there. From Al Arabiya, Yemeni official... Iran constantly trying to counterfeit the country's currency, the Yemeni rial. A government spokesperson said that this is aimed at extorting the international community by using the humanitarian card to stop military operations against the Houthi militia. He said that the Houthis are using this large amount of money to speculate exchange rates and withdraw foreign currencies, which actually deteriorates the value of the Yemeni rial. The spokesperson added that the Yemeni government is doing its best to find effective solutions to stop the devaluation of their currency, which he described as unacceptable. The U.S. Treasury Department had placed a number of companies and clients belonging to the Quds Force, which is Iran, of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard on a sanctions list for printing counterfeit money worth millions of dollars in Yemen." Now, remember, we have that huge crisis which is going on over there. We've got all kinds of diseases which are plague, everything going on in Yemen. It's all being blamed on Saudi Arabia because these Houthis are coming in and they're attacking Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is responding. It is all being initiated by Iran trying to destabilize that country because Iran is putting its finger in the pies all over. And the Arabs are up in arms over this. They're absolutely up in arms against Iran. We see that again week after week. From Ynet, Yemen asks the Saudis for $2 billion to save their currency and prevent famine. Yemen's prime minister has called on the Saudi-led coalition allied with his government to deposit $2 billion in the central bank to save the local currency from complete collapse. This is what Iran is trying to do. The Yemenis come to Saudi and they say, we need this money or we are going to collapse. And they're already facing these troubles. Reuters. Saudi-led coalition to give 1.5 billion dollars in Yemen aid, expand port capacity. So they, you know, when somebody asks for something, they they need uh, 500 dollars. What did do they do? They asked for 600, right? And so Saudi Arabia knew this. They know that these people are in desperate need. They didn't give them the full 2 billion because there'd be 500 uh, million that would have been probably not spent too wisely. But they did meet the need. They had to, because if not, Iran is going to get its foothold down there even deeper than it is, and it's going to be even more of a nightmare. So, as you can see, Gog Magog is is being worked in this world right now, as the Bible said it would be, and that includes these people that are being talked about in Yemen. From a little bit of news on Mongolia this week, from Xinhua Net, Vietnam and Mongolia Eye, Closer Ties, two countries I've never been to. I flew over Vietnam when I moved to Malaysia, but uh, I've never actually been there, and I haven't been to Mongolia, so I thought I'd include this as an article this week. Vietnam and Mongolia's top legislatures agree to promote bilateral exchanges and cooperation in politics and security defense. During their talks in Vietnam's capital, Vietnam's National Assembly Chairwoman and her visiting Mongolia counterpart pledged to effectively implement agreements signed in the fields of diplomacy and security defense, increase dialogues, information, and experience sharing at all levels. Join hands in fighting crimes, enhance partnership in defense industry, logistics and military medicine, and accelerate negotiations of agreements on criminal extradition and the transfer of convicted persons. The two legislatures agreed that Vietnam and Mongolia should bolster their economic and trade connection. After the talks, they signed a memorandum of understanding on cooperation between the two legislatures. And if you remember, it was probably six or seven months ago, The Philippine president said that Mongolia is welcome to come in and be a part of ASEAN. They're not even close to ASEAN, and yet they invited them down, and this seems to be another step for that happening, where Mongolia will actually be a part of the alliance of Southeast Asian nations. It's an interesting thing that's going on over there. From Daniel 12, technology Israel 21C says, and this is something that every person in Florida should be absolutely elated about. New paint transforms sun's rays into cool air conditioning. And this is not a joke. This is amazing. You know, my friend, well, I used to work at the uh, wastewater plant over here in Gulfgate before that got taken down. And he said to me one time, because we'd have to paint the tanks every year, and he'd say, we can send somebody to the moon and we can't get a paint that will last more than one year on the outside of a wastewater plant, right? Well, they have a, Paint that will now air condition your house. This is very cool. An Israeli high-tech paint doesn't just protect surfaces from the sun. So it's called "soul cold," which would be solar cold. Soul cold actually uses the sun's power to activate a cooling mechanism, effectively providing air conditioning without electricity. This double-layered coating absorbs the hot rays of the sun and re-emits that energy in the form of cold. The hotter the solar radiation, that means the hotter the day. The hotter the solar radiation, the more the coating cools down. Oh, so it has exactly the opposite effect, making soul colds paint a potentially game-changing electricity-free solution for intensely sunny climates such as Africa, Central, and South America, and I added in Florida, yes. okay? The anti-Stokes fluorescent technology behind soul cold was invented by engineer Yaron Shenhav. ...who became the co-founder and CEO of Soulcold? The IP is owned by the company. We are not afraid someone will copy us because the technology is very complicated and not familiar to too many people. We gathered a unique combination of knowledge in the worlds of thermodynamics, nanotechnology, and quantum physics and have been working on it for the past four years. We have also registered a PCT patent, which is pending before being published. Grodas expects the product to be affordable and to offer a fairly quick return on investment. He explains that the materials used in the coating all exist in the market and are 100% green and free of carbon emissions and are activated by free energy from the sun. When tested in a lab using a sun simulator, Solcold's double-layered coating cooled an object by 2.2 degrees Fahrenheit using the equivalent of only 1% of the sun's energy. The paint could decrease electricity consumption by up to 60% and is expected to last for 10 to 15 years before needing a new coat. So my only thought about that, I got to tell you what, is that if, if they do invent it, I will put it on my house, but it better come in some very bizarre colors. If you all know my wife, she picks out the colors for our house and they're pretty bizarre. But anyway, if they will do that, she will, she will save us some money there by putting on so-called. And from Mail Online, two boys are dramatically rescued from a rip current, okay, by a drone in a world-first operation which saw lifeguards get the job done without getting their feet wet. Okay, two boys were spotted in distress off Lennox Head in northern New South Wales. Large waves made it impossible for rescuers to reach the teens by boat. Well, the teens got out there. Why couldn't they? But whatever. (laughs) Drone dropped an inflatable, which they clung to and swam back to shore. So good job, drone technology. Revelation plagues today from the independent Cape Town could be the first major city in the world to run out of water after a 90 day warning. Mm. If you read Drudge, this did make Drudge later in the week, but I included it anyway, which I don't like to do because everybody reads Drudge. But it's so serious. This is so serious. This is a major, major city in the world. It may be the first major city in the world to absolutely have no water left at all. Cape Town may become the first large city in the world to run out of water as officials warn there are fewer than 90 days left before the supply runs dry. The city's mayor, Patricia De Lille, said residents had until 22 April until day zero, when authorities have estimated the water supply will be finished if residents do not scale back their usage. As a result, officials have introduced strict measures to limit the consumption of available water, including capping usage at 87 liters per person per day. Now, I will tell you this because I ran wastewater and water facilities here in Sarasota for many, many years, and the people that have money do not care. They will not change their lives at all. I saw it when we had the big drought a few years ago, and they were saying, please don't use so much water. Their water, most people use between three and 10,000 gallons a month. That's just an average of most houses with two to four people, right? These people, especially the ones out on the key, will go through 100, 200, and 300,000 gallons a month, now imagine the amount of water they just leave water running all the time. They have yeah, they have showers that they they'll put lines up in their trees, and then the the lines will like make a, a rainforest that they can walk through and stuff. And they'll think of anything to waste water. And they don't care. And when they come to this, there are people in South Africa that are using tons of water. And everybody else, including them, is going to suffer in the end if they don't stop it. Anyway, the crisis is the result of three years of low rainfall and drought, coupled with a growing population and an increase in water consumption. Storage levels in dams serving the coastal South African city dropped to below 30%. But once the dam reaches 13.5% capacity, the municipal water supply will be turned off for all but essential services such as supplies to hospitals. If the taps are turned off, residents will be required to travel to one of only 200 municipal water points across the city to collect a max ration of 25 liters day. Residential customers remain the largest portion of water users. As I said, people don't care. They think, oh, it's going to come back and we're going to get a rains. especially the wealthy. They just burn up the water and eventually they're going to be cut off and they are going to go ballistic. Not, mark my words on it. If we can bring consumption down to 500 million liters per day, we will be able to avoid day zero. Well, they can't avoid day zero, they're just moving it off, that's all. Cape Town authorities are trying to top up water levels in the city surrounding dams using techniques such as drilling into aquifers, recycling wastewater, and the desalination of seawater. They're trying, we'll see what happens. Daily Star. Eye bleeding fever outbreak confirmed. Fears of pandemic as disease hits a second country. Uganda's health ministry has admitted it is facing the risk of a large-scale explosion of the viral hemorrhagic fever. VHF causes victims to suffer a burning fever before beginning to bleed from orifices, including their eyes and so on. It comes after a girl, nine, was reportedly killed by the infection in Uganda, and three people died in neighboring South Sudan of similar symptoms. Serious stuff. If it gets out, it'll it'll just go through the country. So, from the independent... Flu outbreak, 100 people a week are dying in the United States as the virus continues to spread. And they gave the stats at least 759 people died in the U.S. between 7 October and 23 December. And the news this morning, which I saw, said that they expect that it could be as many as 50,000 people will die during this flu season. We're not halfway through, and it's getting worse, not better. So 50,000 is a lot of people. And imagine this now. You're just out there doing your job every day, and you go home, and you're sick, and your wife says to you, are you okay? I think he might have the flu, go to bed, and the next day she wakes up, and he's dead, right? This is what happens in life. We don't know when. We talk about the rapture all the time, like, oh, it's going to happen, and Jesus is going to take us out of here. We have no idea when we're going to die. You drive down the road, and there's a, a water break, talking about water, water break under the road. That road is going to collapse with the first car going over it entire roads wash away when you have a mainline break. And you just, that's the end of you. You go into there and the water, this is just what happens in life. If you don't know Jesus, if you're watching prophecy updates because you want to know what's going on in the world, it doesn't make any difference in the world at all. Unless you know Jesus, this prophecy update means nothing. It's just tickling of your ears. You need to come to Christ, and you need to be saved by his shed blood. And then all of this stuff can be put in its proper perspective. If you haven't called on Jesus, today is the day to do that. It's very simple. Let's go through the directions of how to become saved in case somebody's watching this Prophecy Update that just doesn't realize how simple it is. I'm going to take you first to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is the gospel. This is it. Okay, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel... Which I preached to you, which also you received, and uh, and in which you stand, by which you are saved. This is what saves you right here. If you hold fast to that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He's writing about the Old Testament. Guess what? The Old Testament points to the death of Jesus Christ and his atoning death for us. Every word of it points to it. We know that. We go through Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus for the past seven or eight years, and every single sermon has something about Jesus in it, always, because it's all about him. So it says there that um, uh, he died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's it. He died for our sins. He was buried. He carried away our sins. And he rose again to justify us. And how do you receive that? That's written in the book of Romans chapter 10. It says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, what he just said in 1 Corinthians 15, if you take that and apply it to yourself, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made Unto salvation. That's the gospel, folks. It's so simple. I have sin in my life. I can't get rid of my sin, but Jesus can. He died for me, and I accept that. I receive it by faith, and it is done. Ephesians 1 13 and 14, which I bet you will hear in today's sermon, says that the moment that that happens, it is given to you as a guarantee. A guarantee. There is no loss of salvation. Any teacher that says that you can lose your salvation. Is false. That is absolutely false. You are sealed with a guarantee. If God's guarantee is no good, then it ain't the God of the Bible. And plus, it would mean that He made a mistake sealing you in the first place. God does not make mistakes. Everything after that initial call of salvation is based on what? Rewards and losses. Everything. You will suffer loss or you will get rewards for what you do after calling on Jesus, but you will never lose your salvation. Do not listen to people that say that you can lose your salvation. There is not one verse in the Bible that will support that. Not one. People, one of my friends emailed me with some clarification on four or five very difficult verses this week, and I was happy to send them on to him. This is what it says. This is the context, and none of those are taken in context. I'll give you one of them right now. It's Revelation chapter 2, where he's talking to the church, and it says that, let me read it to you just so that you know. I know we're in a prophecy update, but people get confused. They need to have doctrine before prophecy. Here's what it says in Revelation chapter 2. Hang on a sec here. It says, um, uh, let me see if I can find the right verse that he said. Um, Uh, It's Revelation 2. Nevertheless, I have this against you. I will come and fight against you. It's one of the churches he's writing to. He says, um, oh, yeah, here it is. I'm going to read you the whole thing to to the uh, church in Ephesus, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. These things, he says, who holds these seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. Then you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. It's not a loss of salvation verse at all. He's speaking to a church. The lampstand belongs to the church, not to the individual. He's speaking to a church. Context actually matters when you read the Bible. And the context is he's speaking to the church. There are times in the, the seven letters to the seven churches he talks to individuals. He ain't doing it there. Okay? I will remove your lampstand. None of us have a lampstand. The church has the lampstand. We have salvation and it ain't getting taken away. God is faithful even when we are not. Okay, we'll go on. Morality today. Reuters. U.S. Health Agency revokes Obama-era planned murder parenthood protection. Instead of planned parenthood, it's planned murder. Okay, Somebody corrected me on that this week. My good friend emails me all the time and he says please don't call it Planned Parenthood because they're not planning Parenthood. They're planning murder. So he removed their protection. The United States health officials said they were revoking legal guidance issued by the Obama admin that had sought to discourage states from trying to defund organizations that provide abortion services such as planned murder. The United States DHHS officials also said that the department was issuing a new regulation aimed at protecting health care workers' civil rights based on religious and conscientious objections. Remember, he passed that law saying, we're taking away all of your rights. You must do these things. Our current president has completely overridden them. He has taken regulation after regulation and thrown it out the door. I love what this man is doing for our nation. The regulation protects the rights of health care workers from providing abortion, euthanasia, and sterilization. HHS said it was creating a new division that would focus on conscience and religious objections, a move it said was necessary after years of federal government forcing health care workers to provide such services. HHS will issue a letter to state Medicaid offices rescinding 2016 guidance that the Obama admin gave after states, including Indiana, had tried to defund abortion providers such as planned murder. The Medicaid program, jointly funded by states and the federal government, provides health care services to the poor and disabled. Federal law prohibits Medicaid or any other federal funding for abortion services. The move is the Trump admin's latest effort to roll back policies developed by Obama. Thank you, President Trump. From Yahoo, same-sex active-duty couple marries at West Point. What a disgrace. What an absolute disgrace. So, you see, the problem is, and I said this during the Bible study on Thursday night, is that we have a nation with a cancer in it. We have a president that is undoing many, many things, but we have cancer in this nation that is an infection, and it is only going to be purged either by civil war or by an attack from the outside or by a giant plague upon this nation. I'm telling you it is coming because the cancer is too deep. There's so much immorality. There's so much wickedness in this country in the hearts of the people. Our president is doing great things, but look, Burning Man is about to start again. Every year they have Burning Man out in the the desert, right? And these people worship pagan gods. And we have all this kind of stuff, satanic uh, temples being built all over this nation. And until this nation goes through a fire, it is not going to turn back to the Lord. It is not. I'm very happy for our president. I'm happy he's doing these things. He may be the person that carries this nation through that fire, but we are going to go through it because of what's going on. I don't mean to scare anybody, but this is the world we live in, and God will not be mocked. Okay, from our other category, from the UA Wire, Kremlin, Russia's relations with the United States in a state of collapse. The Kremlin said this, said Russian press president, Secretary Dmitry Peskov Peskov also added that the relations between the presidents of the Russian Federation and the U.S. are friendly and benevolent, and that there are no prospects for bilateral relations at the highest level. We all know about contacts between the special services, and this shows that there's potential, at its very least— It's simply necessary to steer the bilateral relations out of the nosedive that they, meaning the relations, are stuck in. Our relations are not good, things aren't getting better, and so we're just going to have to watch this. But going on from Mail Online, England is absolutely scared of Russia right now. Putin is a clear and present danger to Britain. Head of the Army warns of Russia's eye-watering military power and how it is using the war in Syria to test its frightening arsenal. From Mail Online, our military chiefs aren't crying wolf. Putin's threat and the parallels with 1914 are all too real, writes Max Hastings. And from Mail Online a third time, Tory grandee Sir Michael Fallon demands one billion pounds boost for the British military after army chief warns they cannot meet the Russian threat. They are really, really worried about that right now in England. From Zero Hedge, the U.S. Coast Guard adds cruise missiles to icebreakers as battle for the Arctic begins. The U.S. Coast Guard is preparing to equip icebreaker vessels operating in the Arctic region with high tech cruise missiles for the first time as Washington escalates geopolitical tensions with Russia. Okay, mail online. Radio One becomes the latest BBC station to ban white job applicants as their Newsbeat trainee post is offered only to people from black, Asian, or ethnic minority backgrounds. The BBC is facing criticism for recruiting a trainee post for non-white people. The trainee post is on Newsbeat BBC's current affairs outlet for 16 to 25-year-olds. They have previously insisted similar positions are legal under the Equality Act. They may be legal, but they're stupid. You hire the most qualified and you don't put their race or their color or their whatever. You just hire people because they're qualified and leave it at that. From Newsweek, doctors confirm it's hard to grow up. Everybody knows it's hard to grow up. Yes, doctors have confirmed it. And so what's their recommendation? Their recommendation is that adolescence should extend to the age of 24. Yes, adolescence is a period of immense change and growth. And young people are taking so much longer to mature that a team of doctors are now suggesting it be officially extended to the age of 24. In an opinion piece in the Lancet uh, Child and Adolescent Health Journal, researchers argue that defining adolescence as ending at age 19 has long posed a conundrum. The team explains that young people are delaying how long it takes to complete school, get married, and start a family of their own. Therefore, they recommend the current definition be altered. Rather than ages 10 through 19 years, a definition of 10 through 24 years corresponds more closely to adolescent growth and popular understanding of this life phase and would facilitate extended investments across a broader range of settings. The definition will allow for more developmentally appropriate laws, social policies, and service systems. And my first thought when I read that was tell that to the people that were 17 18 and 19 that went off to serve in world war ii and defended this nation they carried all of the weight of that war on their young shoulders and they did it honorably and you think about the people in the civil war there were people 14 and 15 that went out and served their country on whichever side they were on fighting a battle that they believed in and that their father told them this is the right thing to do and now we're 24 years old and we we we're still at home with mom? This isn't one the diaper phase? Yeah, right? the diaper phase. That's exactly. Oh, you want to see the photos that I included with that article. Little kids in diapers? Absolutely. People crying and, oh, you're absolutely right about that. Okay, from, uh, I think, I saw this, John Haller, I think, posted this on his uh uh, page this week and uh, I said oh, I've already got that in my update but I'm going to repeat it anyway from Fox News the NFL rejects veterans groups yeah, yeah, Super Bowl yeah. ad urging people to stand for the anthem and the reason why I included that was because Zero Hedge Super Bowl ticket prices are falling they're not able to sell them all because people are protesting these pe- I'd love to see them just closed alright okay um, I have uh, one more article to read to you This is one of the most, to me personally, heartbreaking articles that I will read, and you're going to think, who cares? But it's just a part of my life. I spent a lot of time on these. It was my favorite of all of them. It was a wonderful thing that we had developed, and it is now gone. From Mail Online, the Queen of the Skies' final resting place. Inside the remote Arizona desert graveyard where the last of the U.S. Boeing 747 fleet are left to die as they are replaced by new planes. The final American Boeing 747, the world's first jumbo jet, has come to rest in an Arizona graveyard. Now, our president still flies one, and other nations do have them. But for American commercial airliners, we no longer use them any longer. The last one, the... um, The old planes are at a boneyard in Arizona, a salvage facility where the planes are sent to be stored or scrapped. Foreign airlines still use the 747 for passenger flights. The 747 was designed to provide seating for growing numbers of passengers and heralded the beginning of the new age of air travel for the masses when it first flew in February of 1969. It has not been that long, and it is now obsolete. A group of 48 Delta employees and reporters... I made aviation history on January 4th when ship 6314 took to the skies one last time to fly to retirement at the Penal Air Park in Marana from Atlanta. That just broke my heart when I read that. I just loved that plane. When I was uh, stationed in Malaysia, because I was uh, a part of the uh, embassy team and they gave you points for stuff like that, I'd never understood it, but they always gave me uh, business class flights back instead of coach class and the business class was in the hump on top. You'd go up those stairs and you would sit there and it would, you had your own stewardess just for yourself and there weren't that many seats there. It was really, really nice and I remember thinking, what a plane this is. I, I, I'd never flown on one until I started flying from Malaysia and back to the country and I thought, what a beautiful plane this is and now they're scrapped. just breaks my heart. So with that in mind, I have a Catholic for you. Uh, Les deferred to his wife this week to, uh, instead of a Lesric, we have a Catholic, okay? She said, I recall when they took to the sky, the biggest of all that could fly, the 747s no longer crossed the heavens. Now they're grounded and left out to die. So sorry about that, I'm an emotional guy. And it's just one of those things it Two planes that I really loved were the 747 and the SR-71. I loved the SR-71. It was the Air Force's you know, high uh, reconnaissance flight, and uh, they finally decommissioned that. But they kept the B-2, which was actually older, and uh, it was just too expensive to keep them in the sky. They uh, would take off. They'd fill up with uh, fuel before they took off. And the plates on the uh, SR-71s were actually so far apart that the thing would leak all over the uh, runway as it was going because they had to have room to expand because they'd fly so fast that that the the, uh, sheets would have to expand together and then it would stop leaking. And so what they would do is they would fill this thing up and it's leaking all over the runway and they would take off and they would get up into the air and then a a fueling tanker would have to refill them before they went off on their mission and they'd hit the go button and off they go. And that thing would start expanding and everything would seal up and it would stop weeping all over the place. But what an amazing plane that was, but what's even more amazing Two other planes. I'll tell you about before we finish up today, the B 52 has been in service now for like 60 years and it's still being used and it is state of the art. They just keep upgrading that thing. Okay. And then I mentioned the B one, which is still in service. The B, uh, not the B-1, the uh, uh, SR-71. Uh, no, not the SR-71. The one that I said before that, now I forgot, the, uh, uh, the no, not the B-52, the reconnaissance flight that was before the SR-71, and I said it a second ago. Um, anyway, it uh, was developed on slide rules by these guys, and they said, we need this, we need this for the Cold War, and these guys developed it out at the Skunk Works, and they did it. The U-2. That's what I'm thinking of. They went out there and they developed that in no time at all and that thing is still in service and it is being used all around the world spying on people. So, didn't mean to divert on that but I love airplanes and to think of what they've done with the 747, just sorry about the tears, folks. Anyway, um, we have a irony of the week for you, actually two of them on the same subject but before I tell you about that, we have a Sergio and Rota video that we watched before the church and once again, it is classic, it is outstanding. It's Hezekiah's Tunnel, it's got the Pool of All of the city of David, and it is really well done. So, and a missed phone call. Yeah, you know what? I called him during while they were filming, and I didn't know they were filming. And what did he do? He hung up on me. So, whatever. Anyway, so there you go. But it's a really, really good episode, and I hope that you'll watch it. And then we have two ironies of the week, and we'll be done. From Breitbart Irony alert a thousand private jets deliver globalist elite to Davos for climate change summit. Okay? And then from the Daily Caller, scientists get buried in snow at Davos while lecturing on global warming. So there you go. Such is the world we live in. So from Sarasota, Florida to Batar, Mongolia, I'm Charlie Garrett. This is The Superior Word, and that is your Prophecy Update for the week.